of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for eight years now, discussing sex, power, politics, and religion, all the things nice girls were once told not to bother their pretty little heads with. Yes, that's what they taught us in the Bible Belt of New Orleans, but who did that serve? Certainly not me or the women I knew. But we got smart, we got a clue, and we started taking responsibility for our own education. We didn't settle for what they wanted us to know, just at the dining room table or even from the pulpit. No, indeed not. There was a whole lot more we needed to know, and we sure do now, and we're all sharing it right here on this radio show. We are shouting it from the rooftops because that information can change the world Yes, indeed. Well, welcome back, listeners. I hope you aren't making yourself crazy with the holiday. All the stuff, all the things that need to be done, the running here and there, the buying, the cooking, ah, all the expectations. I hope you aren't going into debt to be a good little consumer, buying a lot of stuff that no one really needs if we get right down to it. I hope you're making traditions that make you happy 
and not just somebody else. Give yourself permission to have the kind of holiday that feeds you. Well, I want to say thanks to Diva Haley for her music opening tonight's show. It's called uh, Narayani, and it's from her Sacred Alchemy CD. Uh, Shout out to Sarah. I want to thank her for her nice email where she says she's so glad I make the point over and over again in different ways that a significant source of empowering, a a, a significant source uh, of empowering women is the retelling rewriting, and revisioning of stories and histories. Whether we believe there were once egalitarian societies or not, these stories inspire us to create the kind of world we want now. So thank you, Sarah. Thank you. And uh, as an aside, we do have proof of egalitarian societies. We certainly do. One of the ones I was discussing recently with scholar uh, Dr. James Rietveld, that wonderful guy who's co-leading our sacred tour to goddess sites in Turkey in May of next year. Um, Well, we talked about the proof that they have now about Minoan Crete being an egalitarian society. And, of course, uh, we know about Maria Gambuta's theories and the regions uh, the Kurgan invaders devastated without fortifications. You know, I believe we are the cognitive minority on this, as I've said before. We know the truth. We dare to defy the status quo. We just aren't taught these theories because they fly in the face of our male-dominated society. If we're taught there uh, was, wasn't always domination, um, not partnership, then that's what we, uh, they can perpetuate out there in the world. Just like the Demeter-Persephone myth, uh, Hades' abduction of Persephone normalizes rape in our culture. And, of course, if you've been listening to the show, you know that was not the original telling of the myth. The original telling didn't even have Hades in the story, much less rape. Well, we aren't sheeple. We can change the world, and we are. We are uppity and tenacious women and men determined to make this world a better place. Hear our sacred roar. (laughs) You know, that would be a great spot for the sound of a lioness. Uh, an audio, don't you think? Hear our sacred roar. Then I could I could play, <laughs> and it would sound so much better than me. Well, if any of you listeners can find a free audio file of a lion or a lioness growling, please send it to me, and I'll use it here on the show. <laughs> you know, maybe a short 10-second uh, uh, cut, uh, maybe longer, and we'll edit it down. Uh, see if you can help me with that. I think that would be cool. Well, uh, tonight I have uh, with us, calling from across the pond, uh, Ram Das, uh, author of the new book, Rising in Love, uh, about the hugging saint, uh, or uh, some of us consider her actually the living embodiment of goddess. That would be Amma of Kerala, India. Ram knew Amma personally, and he'll share his uh, stories of uh, of. of you know uh, his rememberings you know his experience of uh of being around her he'll tell us about his time in an ashram in india and um i think he just popped up on the switchboard there so uh ram if you uh hear me uh, know that i see you and uh, i'll be with you in just a second uh then after ram das uh, we have jeffrey alba 
Uh, he will be here discussing the upcoming Pagan Conference uh, at uh, Claremont School of Religion in California. It's been going on for a number of years. It's an annual event. Uh, I believe it happens every January, maybe February, he'll tell us. Uh, it's been growing, and um, you might just want to know about it. You might even want to come. Uh, but first, a few announcements. Uh, I wanted to let you know I am giving a free talk this Friday night in Seal Beach, California, uh, just uh, down the road from Los Angeles a bit. Uh, it's my annual talk to the Theosophical Society of Long Beach, and the topic they've asked me to speak on Friday will be Goddesses of the Winter Solstice and Legends and Lore of Christmas. Uh, so if you want uh, more information, uh, email me or check out my Karen Tate Facebook page, and you will no doubt find the event posted there. Um, now, because of a special request by a listener on the East Coast, because as she said, Karen, we want to hear the information, but we're on the other end of the country. Is there any way, any way you can record it or do something so that uh, we can hear your talk? Well, um, that is exactly what I am going to do. Uh, I am going to be giving my talk, and uh, you will all get to hear it. Um, I am going to record it on the uh, 23rd of uh, December, and uh, I'm going to share the information that uh, I intend uh, to give in the talk uh, on Friday night. And uh, that is all because of Donna. Uh, her request, and Donna is a, a priestess in the Fellowship of Isis, and uh, she wrote me this week. And you ask for it, listeners, and I do it, and I am glad to do it. And speaking of shows during the holidays, um, because, you know, the, the way Wednesday falls uh, with regard to Christmas and New Year's, my shows next week, my regular shows with guests, uh, are going to be on Mondays instead of Wednesdays, except for that special Christmas show that I've added to the schedule uh, that's going to be on the 23rd. So next week uh, I'll be with you on Monday and Tuesday, and the following week I'll be with you on Monday. So look for it. Uh, and as I said, if uh, you're in the Southern California area and you want to come to the talk and meet me in person and chat and uh, look for the pink and yellow sky as a symbol for the return of the light. Um, that's the image that I used on Facebook to, um, you know, to make an event for the, the, the Christmas talk that I'm giving. And speaking of uh, Return of the Light, uh, we're all waiting for. Um, if you have never lived in the environment that's dark, dark and gray and gloomy in winter, it's really hard maybe to understand how the ancients were so afraid the light was not returning. You know, here in Southern California and maybe in other parts of uh you know, the globe, uh, we're lucky enough to have really great weather. You know, we have that Mediterranean climate, and we don't see a lot of dark and gray and gloom like so many other parts of the world that actually do. Uh, so if you're like me and uh, you hadn't lived in a climate that's dark and gray all the time, um, it was hard to understand what the ancients were so afraid of. But, you know, when Roy and I uh, really got a chance to understand that up close and personal, we were visiting Ireland. We were there for two weeks and never 
in that entire time saw the sun. Of course, we knew it was coming out, it was coming back, but you can imagine how ancient people used to feel, um, you know, and, and so they made important offerings to coax the sun back, because after all, light is life. And speaking of life, uh, are you getting ready to reinvent yourself for 2015? That's what the new year is all about, new life, new potential. What are you trying to bring in for yourself next year? What are you inviting in to make your life better? And that's the perfect segue to remind you about my upcoming workshop that Roy and I have been invited to give on the love boat. I know, it sounds so crazy. We're going to be on the love boat. Uh, Yes, Princess Cruises uh, is traveling to the Mexican Riviera for seven days uh, during the week of Valentine's Day in February. It's going to be a seminar at sea with lots of different workshops from many different presenters on all manner of relationship. Uh, not just for couples, but for everyone to improve their interpersonal skills, their communication, enhance their love life, their sex life, find more friends, all of that kind of stuff. You know what we all need. Well, Roy and I are going to be teaching the workshop, Finding Love and Keeping It. So if you're interested, uh, take advantage of the early bird discount that might not be extended much longer. And I have an additional discount I can give you to lower the $9.99 price tag, even more if you get in touch with me before registering. Not a bad deal, really, when you think of it, especially if you're on the West Coast and you don't have to uh, get airfare to uh, to get to Los Angeles, you know, when where the uh, boat uh, disembarks from. So $9.99 for seven days, all the food and entertainment and workshops you can handle. Um, so do something different this Valentine's Day. This could be the first step to change your love life or relationships in your life. And the other workshops Roy and I are giving, just in case um, you're interested, is Awakening to the Lover Within and Breaking Free to Be Your Authentic Self. You know, if you've been listening uh, for the last few weeks, you uh, probably have heard me say that Roy and I have been happily married for 30 years. We just renewed our vows, as a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, and I talked about that. And people have been asking us how we met, what's our secret for staying together for so long, how do we stay happy, how do we put up with each other. (laughs) And, you know, we'll be glad to put that into a workshop and share our tips and the wisdom gleaned uh, over these three decades. So again, go to my Facebook page. That's kind of a go-to place, um, although my website uh, has the information too, KarenTate.com. So either Facebook, Karen Tate Facebook page, or uh, Karen Tate uh, website. Um, scroll down for the Facebook event that I made for the cruise. Uh, you'll see the love boat there with the pink hearts and the cruise ship. Uh, if you have any trouble finding it, just get in touch. And don't forget uh, to get in touch with me for the special additional secret discount code if you want to sign up and save yourself money. So that all out of the way. Uh, it's time for the first part of the show. And uh, I'd like to thank Ram Das for his patience. And uh, first I'm going to introduce you to him by way of his bio. And I sure hope that's him on the line there. <laughs> I'll be surprised if I go into that number and it's not really him. But uh, I have faith. Uh, so anyway, Ram Das, a bat- 
Batchelder was born as Mark Batchelder in 1961. He attended the State University of New York at Purchase as an acting major and there had a powerful spiritual awakening which was brought about by a combination of intense emotional expression in acting classes, psychotherapy, journaling, and experimentation with marijuana. As he puts it, he went from atheist to prophet over a two-year period. Many powerful spiritual experiences came during this time, including meeting an angel and an experience with Jesus. Due to his ignorance of the spiritual path at the time, he didn't even know there was one. He says uh, he um, fell into the deluded belief that he was the Messiah for two years until finally he discovered books about the saints of India and realized that he was really just a beginner on the path. Eventually he met his guru, Ama, known in the West as the Hugging Saint, and has spent 25 years in India, most of that time in Amma's ashram. He's met other saints also, seen many miracles, and has written six books, including the one we're talking about tonight, Rising in Love. He has been happily married to a Venezuelan woman for the last 12 years. And I think he wrote me a day or so ago to tell me that his brand new book, I think even sold out on Amazon. So I hope that's you there, Ram Das, is it? Hi, can you speak up a little bit? Oh, you're not getting a good microphone on me? Is that better? Well, you sa- you sound just a little far away, like you're maybe in um, maybe you're down a well a little bit. Is there any way you can get closer to the mic, maybe? Uh, well, let's see. Is that better? Well, you know, if that's the best Not- you can do, let's give it a shot. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I can also try another set of headphones that has a built-in mic that's maybe better. Let me try that. I had some problem with it last night, so I tried another one. But let me try this one. Hold on a minute. Okay. All right, okay. let's uh, let's give that a shot. See how it goes. Mm. So, um, Ram Das, say again. Is that better? Uh, it's about the same, I think. Okay. Um, then I better try the other one again. Hold on. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's why I wanted to connect with you before the show started. You must have had some technical difficulties, huh? I don't know if he's hearing Yeah, me. good morning. Are you hearing me now, Karen? Yeah, yeah, I am hearing you. Yes, I am hearing you. So okay. um so let's um you know, let's get going here. Um so why don't you t- tell us a little bit about your new book, Rising in Love? Um I love the subtitle, My Wild and Crazy Ride to Here and Now with Alma, the Hugging Saint. Um what does it mean, my wild and crazy ride uh, to here and now? Well, um, my path has been quite wild and crazy, especially in the early days when I broke into a wild spiritual awakening and had no context and no understanding of what was really going on. All I knew was that suddenly I uh, was in contact with God, with, 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 uh, with the supreme reality that I hadn't even believed existed six months before, and this, that this supreme reality was speaking to me. And each uh, making me laugh and, and giving me all kinds of extraordinary knowledge, which I had no clue previously existed. And so, so without any... 
Yes. So, so well, first of all, let me ask you: Do you, do you want me to call you Ram Das or Ram? How do you want me to address you? Uh, Ram Das is fine. I mean, Ram, Ram is Dass. the name of God, and right. Ram Das means servant of God. So okay. it's more appropriate that you call me a servant than that you call me God itself. <laughs> okay, I totally get that. Uh, that's wonderful. So um, what I'm curious, uh, Ram Das, is how did that actually manifest for you? I mean, did you suddenly just start hearing voices, or was it dreams? Um, how did the how did this communication actually? What did it look like? Well, in those days, most of my experiences came after smoking a joint. Now, I want to make clear, I have not touched any drugs for 35 years. But in those days, that was my opening. And so I was having, you could say, extraordinary openings of consciousness where a whole new level of understanding would be pouring into me. And this might last for a few days, and I would see life in a whole new way, and then I would, then that would fade, and I would go back into some more inner exploration, and then a whole new... Uh, epiphany was dawn, and one night suddenly the whole structure of my mind fell away, and I discovered God was real and speaking to me. And that was just from one and joint. Yes, I wasn't I wasn't doing other drugs, and um, it was I wasn't smoking a lot. It was I I didn't need much. I think so I, let I, me I was ask very you, sensitive. Let me. Let me ask you about this sacred hallucinogen. You're calling, uh, you, you, are you living in India now or you're in the U.K.? I, I forget which. Yes, I'm in India. I'm calling from India. So can you legally use marijuana there like you can here in California? No, I don't think so. And as I said, I haven't smoked uh, marijuana in 35 years. I no, no, I heard you, uh, and when you said that, I thought, hmm, yeah. maybe it's, maybe, um, you know, maybe where he is now, you can't. But you know, it's really starting to become a legal thing here in the United States. So, right, um, I know that's a big deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It is a big deal, and it's interesting that, uh, you know, that that you had such a good experience with it that way that it it really did. Uh, well, I can't. Uh, you know, I, on the one hand, I'm very grateful for the awakening that it, it gave me, but on the other hand, I don't recommend it um, because it, it, my experience was it actually led me into a terrible delusion for two years, and I suffered terribly. I had, you know, um, tremendous opening, but I, without the support and the knowledge about the spiritual path, I became quite deluded thought I was the Messiah, and after six months of that game, I fell into a deep depression and uh, was suicidal for six months, and then came back into my Messiah trip, and then fell back into another depression, and it was, I, I barely made it out alive, let's put it that way. And it wasn't yeah, so until it was I a, quit any kind it, of drug. It was a real roller coaster ride. It, it, it sounds like it was a real... Especially in the beginning. So, so and, and, I, and I mean this in the most sincerest um you know, way, uh, Ram Das. how could you possibly have thought you were God? I mean, you know, how, were you an atheist before that? Was it just because you were... Yes, I was. You know, I, was a, I was a cynical atheist. I didn't believe in spirituality or religion at all. I thought it was all uh, bunk. And then suddenly I was receiving experiences which convinced me at the cellular level that God was real and that I had um, I had been sort of chosen to receive this extraordinary information and this amazing connection. 
Right. I, you know, right. I, I had an experience with an angel, and, you know, I, it was just sort of a logical conclusion. Hey, I met an angel. God is speaking to me. Um, I must be chosen for something. <laughs> and I rapidly fell into a confused idea that I was a Messiah because I didn't have a context other than that to explain what I was experiencing. I didn't know about spirituality or the saints or the spiritual path. I did not know there was a path. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you know, so you hadn't read about uh, people receiving d- divine messages or anything like that, so you you just sort of thought you were the source. Well, I knew that I, I didn't know that I was the source, but I knew uh, I didn't think I was the source, but I knew that I had been chosen to receive something directly from the source, which nobody around me knew about. Right, right. Uh, I came from a family that really didn't believe in anything like that, and nobody in my life knew anything about what I was going through. And yeah, I and sort of naturally assumed, well, maybe I'm the only one who knows about this because I was it, ignorant. I was very ignorant, and the culture I grew up in was very ignorant. It, well, that that must have been must have been shocking shocking for you, and I can see where it would have been really difficult. Um, tell me a little bit about the miracles that you've seen. Was it during the time when you were um, lost, or was it afterwards when you figured out, you know, when you had things together a little bit more? Or well, yeah, the miracles I'm, I'm speaking of there came later. They were after I met Amma which was several years after I quit, I quit smoking marijuana and I started meditating and I started studying the Course in Miracles and I uh, found a good girlfriend and we practiced some tantric sex. And You're going. Can you hear me? Oh, we got disconnected from Ram Das. So I guess we shall wait for him to call back in because he is only at the beginning of his story. Um, you know, I actually had the thrill, I, and I, I will say thrill, and I'll share this with Ram Das when he comes back. Oops, there he is. Uh, well, I'll share it with both of you together. Okay, so you're back. Yes, I am. Sorry about that. Skype okay. So um so you were t- you said you were telling us about the miracles that uh happened yes. after you met Ama. Tell us about that. Well, there was one very powerful miracle. Um I was I had just met Ama and I wasn't quite sure yet if she was my guru, but I thought I would give her a try. And so I put her photo on my altar and her and was singing her her button. And I was living up in the in the hills of Massachusetts, and it was winter. And I was Ram, 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 please stop, stop just a second. We got terrible static. Uh, did it, is has anything changed on your end? Did you move or something? No, I don't think so. Okay, well let's. Be a bad, uh, time. Okay, so let's try again. Go ahead. Are, are you are we okay now? Well, yeah, the static seemed to disappear, so let's hope it doesn't come back. But uh, but go ahead. You were starting okay. to talk about this one important miracle. Yes. It's kind of a long story, this one. But to make a long story short, Amma manifested in the trunk of my car a jack, which helped me when I was stuck in a snowbank. And the jack had a, a candy wedged into it. Uh, and in the moment that I that this jack was discovered, I knew it was a miracle. 
it was uh, in response to prayer and, and singing her buttons and uh, something manifested before my eyes, the candy went into it, which helped me in, in a difficult situation. So that was the first of many miracles I've seen. Okay. Um, I've, al- I've also seen uh, you know, saints um, manifest objects in their hand right before my eyes. I've seen a saint floating above the holy mountain Aranachala in the form of a cloud in such exquisite detail that it could not possibly have been anything other than a miracle. Uh, I've seen hundred thousands of angels flying in the night sky. After a great guru had announced there will be angels flying above my ashram tonight. Uh, I have wow. seen um, a saint, a saint with, uh, with an altar that was uh, covered with sacred ash. And, and before our eyes, I, I handed her a, a pack of bananas, and she gave them back to me two minutes later, and the bananas all had teeth marks in them. And I handed her a small dish, and she held it in her hand for a second and gave it back to me, and it was filled with kumkum, uh, the little red powder that, that uh, ladies use on their foreheads. Uh, I've seen many miracles. Okay. And, um, so, um, yeah. so how did you? How did you? Uh, well, two questions about Ama. Um, how did you find her, and how did you know she was your guru? Well, um, I went to. I had this very intense yearning at this stage in my life to become a monk and live in India. But I was I was living with a woman in a in a, a girlfriend boyfriend relationship. And um, we went together to a, a, a Zen retreat, and there I mentioned to one of the Zen nuns that I had this passion for India and wanted to become a monk. And she said, oh, there's this wonderful saint coming from India in a couple of months. Why don't you go and see her? She's coming to our center in Boston. So I uh, took a note of it, and then I went, to, went in to meet this thing, who turned out to be Amma. And... Um, Actually, the very first year I met her, I had a very powerful experience that she, when I received her beautiful hug, she put her finger on my forehead and channeled some light into my forehead for about five seconds. And for the rest of the night, I couldn't sleep because I had the lightning blazing in my brain the whole night long. Wow. Um, So that was the very beginning. But it wasn't until the next year when I came back again to meet her and I spent eight days with her that after four days in her presence, suddenly one night I had a huge explosion of awakening where I really discovered on the inner plane that this was God incarnate. Right, she knew right. everything about me, that she embodied Jesus and the Holy Spirit and Neem Karoli Baba, which is the guru of Ramdas, whose books had helped me wake up, and that she had embodied every master I had ever read of and that this was my guru and this was the reason I had come to the earth was to be her disciple. And it was a huge explosion of love. And this love has really continued ever since then. So how many uh, how many now, years have you been her follower? Well, that was 1988. I met her in 87. So it's been, uh, what is that, 25 years? Something like that? No, more, 27 years. So let me ask you, how um, how does one afford to live at an ashram? I mean, do they, they let you stay there because, you know, you're sort of in service to the ashram, or do you have to have a source of income? Or I, I'm just curious. I don't know how these things work. Mm-hmm. Well, there are different arrangements that, that are made with individuals in the ashram. Um, 
we have uh, an apartment here which we bought. My wife and I bought an apartment in the ashram, and we also have an independent source of income. We lead tours to the sacred cities of India together. And so this is how we are able to, to, to stay in the ashram. Oh, I wonderful. editing work. Yeah. I see. Wonderful. Well, you know, I don't recall, I mean, you and I started talking a few months ago, and I don't recall how deeply, um, you know, we got into our email exchanges because I I like to leave things fresh a bit, you know, for the show and not talk about everything before the show, and then it's not really fresh for the show. And I don't know if I told you, but I actually did uh, have a personal experience of Ama myself probably about 10 years ago. Uh, she okay. came to Los Angeles, and uh, some women friends of mine were, uh, you know, just enamored of her and said, Karen, you have to come see Ama. You know, you have to experience her. Uh-huh. Well, I, I was yeah. kind of, you know, I was, I was doing my goddess thing, but, you know, I was definitely open to this. And uh, so anyway, we're in this huge ballroom with thousands of people, And it was really strange. Uh, When she finally um, entered the room at the back of the room, she went from the back of the room to the front of the room. The way the crowd parted, I was right on the edge. So she Uh had to pass, um, you know, within a foot or two of me. And as she's coming down the path, um, she would reach out to this one or that one, you know, just... uh, and, and, you know, here and there, you know, certainly not, you know, everybody along the way, it would have taken her forever. Uh, but when she got close yeah. to me, I was one of the ones she actually reached out and touched. And I have Lovely. to tell mm-hmm. you, um, I, I, did, I went there with no expectations. It was just sort of mm-hmm. spiritual and, and intellectual curiosity that, that led me there. Uh-huh. And when she touched me, I felt these, um, like, lightning bolts go through my body. And um, it, it was just, uh, I, I don't know, it, 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 being in her presence just really made me feel like there was most definitely something there, like she was the real deal. She really is. She's the real deal. She's a living, um, incarnation. But, you know, the only thing I wonder, and maybe you can explain this to me, um, you know, she mm-hmm. she um, you know she doesn't speak English. I mean, obviously, she can't speak the language of all her followers all around the world. Um, I found it a little bit hard to bridge that gap, you know, because she works through a translator. And even when you would go up and get a hug, I know she whispered something to me, but I couldn't even tell you what she whispered to me. And that, you know, and, and I felt yeah. bad for that. I really wanted to know what she said to me, you know, but I, I, I couldn't yeah. hear yeah. it well enough. Um, I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, um, do people find that difficult? Well, I think, I think everybody has their own relationship with that whole question. I can tell you that for me, my experience of Ama from, the, from fairly close to the beginning of my relationship with her is that she's fully omniscient and that she's hearing every single thought of mine all the time. Even if her body is on the other side of the planet, I know she's hearing my every thought. And, and in full detail, in other words, if, I, if she's hearing my puns in English, she's not, uh, she's not, she's in the disguise as being a sort of a limited one who doesn't speak English and needs a translator, but the truth is she knows absolutely every language. She's the source of all language. That's my experience. I wouldn't expect anyone else to say so, but this is my experience. So right. if I have a question... 
she can answer me on the inside within, uh, you know, immediately. I can receive an answer from her on the inner plane. And um, I have no doubt that she knows absolutely everything. So if I go through a translator to ask her a question, I may get a, a, an answer, but I know the real answer is going to come to me when she looks into my eyes or, or when, you know, 30 seconds after I receive my hug, the answer will dawn within me and she will give me a glance and I will understand, oh my God, she knows absolutely everything about this question and knows everything about me. Gotcha. So, uh, so, it's, so a, it's, a, it's quite possible to have a very beautiful relationship, even if there's a language. It looks like there is, but there really is. I, I see. I, I understand that. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. Um, so, so you've been there a good long time at the ashram. Yes. I've spent 18 years at the ashram altogether and about and seven other years in other places in India. So do you actually, you know, communicate with her on a, on a regular basis? Yes. Um, I, you know, anytime I need to, I can go up directly to her and receive a hug and ask a question. So anytime I need to do that, I can. It might be more like seven or eight times a year now that I will go up for the hug because there are so many people who just feel it's our duty to give her some safety possible and uh, not want to go up for a hug every week. But I can if I ever need to. And I frequently put letters in the room. Most often I do that on behalf of other people. You, you know, Ram, Ram, Ram Dodd, hang, hang on a second because the static, um, I don't know what this is. But, uh, are, you on, are you on Skype or uh, is that how you're calling in? Hello? Yeah, it's on Skype. Is it unbearable? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the static is pretty bad right now all of a sudden it's uh okay now it seems to be going away you don't hear it am i just hearing it on my end that's right i don't hear it it sounds fine to me okay okay so so it it's it's uh it's gone now so i'm sorry so you said like you may go up to her about seven or eight times a year now for your hug and um you don't really need much more and there's so many other people that uh you know that that need her more. Uh, I know when I wrote about her uh, her place in Kerala in my first book, Sacred Places of Goddess: 108 Destinations. Her ashram in uh, Kerala was one of the places that's in the 108 destinations, and it talked about uh-huh. the incredible work she does around the world. Did did you want to share a bit of that with listeners so that they get a sense that you know she isn't just going around hugging people; she's doing a lot of other that's stuff right. too. Yeah, she has a huge charitable mission, and they do incredible work to uplift the poor. Uh, one one project that they have going is that they have built 45,000 houses and given them to the poorest of the poor. They build beautiful communities with uh, electricity and running water and a temple and a church even and a mosque even, and then the poorest of the poor can be relocated out of slums and into these beautiful new communities. And this is done for also the victims of the tsunami and the victims of the earthquakes uh, in Gujarat. Um, so that's one, one small element of her work. And she also has a huge hospital with very high-quality medical care given free to the poor. And, and, uh, and doesn't she do a lot, a lot of work for women? She does wonderful work to uplift women. They have uh, teams that go out and uh, uplift 
work to uplift the women, give them vocational training, and in every way they can improve their medical care that, that they can uh, access. And uh, they they are doing. They actually have a special United Nations status as, as, uh, as for their work with women in India. Um, they do. Uh, they're giving pensions to poor widows in India. I'm gonna give pensions to 100,000 widows in India, because otherwise they would probably be forced into the sex trade. I mean, there's very little for a widow in India other than uh, starvation or, or the sex trade. So she's right. a tremendous amount to uplift them and keep them from the from the from the depth. Right, right. Um, and she does things like you know give hundred thousands of young students scholarships every year so they can go to school. She's working to prevent farmer suicide created a huge fund for the children of farmers so they can go to school. Um, so so let me ask you a little bit about Amma's background. Um, how did she become the Hugging Saint? What is her story? Well, she was um, a, a child prodigy, spiritually speaking. You know, she, she uh, was began composing songs to Lord Krishna at age five and uh, was, was constantly repeating the name of Krishna and visualizing his form and singing songs to him all night long. And eventually, as a teenager, she began having visions of Krishna and began going into samadhi state. Her family thought she was insane. Um, but uh, eventually, this culminated in the, the discovery that Krishna was omnipresent. Everyone and everything she saw would be seen as Krishna. And eventually, she merged in Krishna and discovered Krishna was her own self and began manifesting what she called Krishna Bhava the state of union with Krishna. And shortly after this, she uh, uh, developed an intense love for the Divine Mother, uh, the Goddess, and began uh, chanting the name of the Goddess. And uh, she had a vision of the Goddess and wanted to see her again. And she began to chant the name of the Goddess incessantly and lived outdoors. She had been kicked out of the house by her family who thought she was ruining the family reputation. And... Um, it, it, after several months living outdoors in constant meditation, she had another vision of the goddess, and the goddess merged in her, and um, she became one with the goddess. And for several days, she was merged in the absolute, so she was established in Brahman, the supreme reality. And then she heard a voice saying, this bliss has not been given to you merely for your own pleasure. This is for the service of humanity. Now serve all beings implicitly. And so from this state of full God realization, she now gives uh, compassionate service and she gives this hug from that state. So it's, it's, she's actually the Divine Mother incarnate. And in Hinduism, as you know, the Divine Mother is not a secondary deity, like an intermediary between us and God. The Divine Mother in Hinduism is actually the supreme power that is the source of the whole manifestation. So that's really what we're talking about here, although she's in the disguise. So, so two questions. Um, uh, I, I want to get to Hinduism and the goddess, but first I want to, you know, stick with Amma's story a little bit. How did she get mm -hmm. from a young girl kicked out of the house to where she is now? I mean, somebody had to find her. I mean, how did how did someone recognize mm -hmm. that she was goddess incarnate? And I mean, how did she get into the position she's in now? <laughs> Well, there's a saying in India, when the flower opens, the bees will come. So when, when, a, you know, when a saint attains the state of God-realization, they begin to you know, emanate extraordinary love, extraordinary compassion, and divine energy. 
you know, you felt that, that energy when you touched you. It's right. absolutely extraordinary. And so, uh, and you get in contact with an omniscient being that manifests extraordinary love, and you, it's so, it touches your heart so deeply that uh, it changes your life instantly. And so naturally, yeah. people began coming to her and seeing all these. She began giving these programs where she would go into Krishna Bhava from 6 p.m. until midnight and hug everybody in Krishna Bhava. And then from midnight until 6 a.m., she would go into Devi Bhava, the Bhava of the goddess, and give everyone a hug in the form of Devi. And so um, these programs began to attract large amounts of people. And there were many healings that occurred. Uh, many miracles occurred. Women who were not able to give birth were suddenly able to give birth by her blessing. Uh, it seems that apparently one girl was brought back to life in her arms. She had been apparently dead for several hours and was brought back to life in, by her darshan. So this, this, you know, begins to be become rather famous rather quickly, and many people began coming. And so there was a small nucleus of disciples who came, and. Uh, and they were and living we, in a hut. You know, there were like eight people living in a grass hut uh, or sleeping on the sand because they had no money. Um, but uh, the advent of a divine incarnation is so powerful that even without any money, no publicity, you know, it's it slowly, slowly, slowly manifested into an extraordinary divine mission. And and do you have an, a sense of when that was, the date? I mean, how long did it take her to get from that to where she is today. Well, let's see. I she was born in 1953, and I believe she attained this full God realization at about age 20. So that would have been 1973. Okay. And um, so disciples were coming in 1970, 1974, 1975. The initial, you know, uh, five or six disciples in those early years. Um, okay. So All right, so the mid-70s, mid-70s. Um, so, Ram Dass, mm-hmm. let me ask you, you know, this is a, a, maybe a little bit off the subject, but, you know, you've been in India for a long time now. Um, one thing I think it's hard for Americans to understand, and I think it's also hard for goddess advocates to understand, you know, India, unlike so much of the rest of the world, they never you know, kipped goddess to the curb. You know, she's always been there in their psyches, in their lives, in their rituals. How uh, how can you explain that um, even though they have never lost goddess and they believe goddess is so powerful, why is the status of women what it is? Well, that's a very interesting question. And, and it's difficult to, for me to give a good answer on that one. Um, it's, it's an ancient culture. And I think that uh, even though, you know, the goddess is very much worshipped in India, as you say, still that ancient culture has, has managed to subjugate women from thousands of years ago. And in the, you know, it's like the caste system, which is enshrined in the Hindu scriptures thousands of years ago, and it has been uh, extended from one generation to another and made sacred and worshipped from one generation to another. In the same way, the subjugation of women has been somehow made 
part of the Indian culture from the beginning. And it's very hard to change this culture because the culture is very strong. It has very ancient roots. Now, I think the culture is rapidly changing, and Ame is doing her very best to change that aspect of the culture. She's really doing her very best to uplift women. Does she so meet I think, with I think much this is the dawn of a new age. Does she meet? Uh, does she meet with much resistance as she tries to do that? Uh, she certainly met with resistance in the early years of her mission, but I think at this point she's very well established, and uh, people are hearing her voice, and people are listening to her, and they're doing their best. But um, I think you know, you know that men are not that. Uh, easy to change their ways when they when they enjoyed the, the position of uh, being superior to women. Uh, they're not so they're not so quick to change their ways. So they, I mean, we'll just see how how well it goes. I haven't seen resistance towards this particular issue, but I haven't necessarily also seen great change happening very quickly. So we'll, right. we can only pray that I'm working that then that aspect will succeed. But she's she's got a very strong voice for the upliftment of women. Okay. Uh, and so, Ram Das, do you consider yourself um, a Hindu? No, I I don't put myself in that kind of box. Uh, I try not to anyway. Um, I do love Hinduism. It's a very broad and beautiful religion. However, I love the idea that uh, the various religions are fingers that are pointing towards the moon from different angles. So the point is, is not the finger. The point is to reach the moon, which is the state of God realization, the state of union with God. So uh, and once you attain that state, surely you'll discover that all the fingers are pointing towards that same state. So um, the point is not to obsess about a finger and say, I am a Hindu, or I'm not one of those, I'm not one of those Christians, I'm not one of those Muslims, but rather to reach the moon and see the truth, the same truth, shining in the essence of all religions. Okay. I think the truth of, of, of what we all really are is really only the supreme consciousness. We are really all only the Atma, which is the divine self. So that's the only true identity that anyone can really have. If I define myself in any other way, if I say, oh, I'm Ramdas, I was born in such and such a time, I'm a person, I'm a man, um, that's a, it's actually completely a, a misnomer, it's completely false, and it's a limitation which blocks me from discovering the truth that I am actually the supreme consciousness, which is the true self of all beings. So okay. if I wanted to find myself, I would find it that way. Home. I understand. Makes perfect sense. It's the different religions are just the means by which you get to the moon. That's right. Right. Um, so you're married now. Uh, is your wife uh, also a devotee of Ama? Yes, she is. We actually met in another ashram. But uh, then I told her about Arma and said, I have a feeling you belong with Arma. And uh, anyway, we ended up coming to Arma's ashram together and got married here. Arma married us, and we've had a wonderful 13 years here. And, and is, she, uh, is she an Indian woman? or? No, she's from Venezuela. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, I, I, I did. Re- I remember now that you said that, uh, reading it in your, uh, in your bio. So she was... Uh, she was on a pilgrimage, on a retreat herself, uh, visiting ashrams, yes, and that's she was. how you met. Her whole family, her whole family uh, had had come to India. Her father had been a devotee of Ananda Mahima, one of the great saints uh, in the, in the 60s in India, and had spent several years with her then. And so he gave uh, 
his three daughters in the manger first. And they had all come to India. And one night, uh, his father was doing some writing late at night. And he lay down afterwards, and suddenly he felt this divine energy in the room, and Amma manifested in the room in a, in a living form and said to him, give me your baby. And Say said, again? We, I couldn't hear Amma, you. I, oh, yes. Uh, this is my wife's father. Uh, he, he had this experience. Amma appeared before him in a living form in his room and said to him, give me your baby. Oh, give me your baby. Yes, and he said, well, Amma, I don't have any babies. My daughters are all grown women. And she said, give me your baby, Tarimima. That's my wife's name, Tarimima. And then she disappeared. So then he, he told my wife, uh, you must go down to Kerala and meet the Holy Mother. She's calling you. So this was the beginning of her relationship with Amma. Wow. Wow. Um just in just incredible stories. Um so um let me ask. I know we sort of briefly skirted over it, uh, but was there more you wanted to tell us about uh you know your spiritual awakening or or you know meeting the angel or um you know or or did you you know did did you cover as much as you wanted to say about that? Well, I'm happy to say more about it. It was an extraordinary, extraordinary time. I actually, in those days, when I would smoke a joint, as I said, I haven't done so for 35 years, but in those days, I would actually glow visibly so that people who had never before seen an aura would see light around my body and see light around my head. So it was uh, a ticket to delusion. It was very exciting. Oh, my God, I must be something very special. And, and it would, an energy would radiate from me in those days that would fill a whole room and affect everybody in it. So it was an extraordinary time, uh, but I was completely confused. I didn't know, uh, I didn't know what it all meant, and I, and I had no idea about the spiritual path or my place in it. So it took me a couple of years of, of intense confusion, delusion, and suffering before I finally discovered the true path and began meditating. Once I discovered meditation, which just came naturally once I tried it, then it has been a, a smooth ascent into peace and uh, a happiness. Really. And creativity has flowed from me, and I've become a very happy, balanced, and successful person. I'm, I'm, I'm just deeply thrilled with my life now. Uh, well, in your bio said you've... Uh, I'm sorry, your bio said that you've written about six books. Um, I believe uh-huh. this last one is Rising in Love, um, about right. uh, you know uh, your relationship uh, with with Ama. What uh, what were some of your yeah. other books? Well, I've written four children's books for Ama's ashram. Uh, these are children's stories in rhyming verse, and and they've been translated. Each of them was translated into four languages, and they're sold all over all over the world when Ama does her tours. The first one is called You Are the King. Uh, the second one is called The Awakening of Wendy the Wave, which is probably my favorite of them. It, it tells the story of a wave on the surface of the ocean who finally discovers that, in fact, she's not the wave, she's the ocean itself. This is a beautiful metaphor for our true relationship with God. God is already within us. We imagine ourselves to be separate, but if we discover who we really are, we discover we are the ocean itself. 
Uh, my third book was called The Triumph of Amos Grace, which is a powerful story from the Vedas, actually, about uh, a little bird whose egg gets stolen by the ocean. And then she tries desperately to, to get the egg back by trying to empty out the ocean by dipping her wings in the, in the ocean and shaking off the drops on the sand and uh, ends up completely exhausted and in despair. And the ancient, uh, the great eagle, Garuda, that is the, the divine mount of Lord Vishnu, sees her suffering and manages to get the egg back for her. So it's a beautiful story, and it's told in a new way in rhyming verse. It's a lot of fun, beautiful illustration. So now and my, you're... my most recent children's book, uh-huh. Well, I was going to say, uh, you you said that the brand new book uh, sold out immediately uh, on Amazon. Is that right? Yes, uh, on the first day, it sold out in in both America and the U.K. Uh, It's still available on Barnes & Noble and another bookstore called The Book Depository. Of course, you can get the e-book on on, on Amazon and also on Barnes & Noble. So, um, Ram Das, let me ask you, to sell out on Amazon, how many books does that mean you've sold? Do you know? I don't know. I haven't investigated. All I know is that they sold out immediately. Wow, so that that's exciting. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Congratulations. That's, uh, that, that's really much. awesome. Um, Thank you very much, Sam. So when you do, uh, when Ama does, say, for instance, come to Los Angeles or travel around the world, do you... Are you part of her entourage? Do you get to go, or do you stay in India? Uh, I can go if I if I can come up with the money. It's <laughs> not something that is free. And of course, the tickets from India to, to uh, America can be expensive. It's just traveling for a lot, and you don't have that huge income. But sometimes I do come. I was in LA last year, and the year before that, I was in LA. So I do I do come to school when I can. It's really, okay. It's really a question of money. Yeah. Okay. I, in some ways, I am happy in, in India uh, than traveling, so I can meditate. You know, the, the American programs you sit in chairs, but I am a meditator that has I've been meditating for 25 years on the floor, and so for me that's just very important to be sitting in the meditation posture on the floor. So I uh, I love to meditate. It's my daily bread. Okay. So in a way, I'm happier staying in India. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, Ram Das, I see uh, my next guest uh, has uh, popped up on the switchboard, and uh, so it's uh, you know about time for us to wrap it up. Um, is there anything you'd like to um, say to listeners uh, before we say good night to you? Well, one thing I haven't mentioned is that all the royalties from the sale of Rising in Love will go towards Ahmed Orphanage uh. in India. So it's a charitable project. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, and Barnes and Noble. Very, very if, nice to talk to you. Uh, so, and go to Barnes and Noble if um, if uh, listeners go to Amazon and it's still sold out. That's right. You can also go to my website, which is www.rising-inlove.org, and there you can mm-hmm. find sample chapters of the book, many reviews, and links to Amazon. Well, Ram Das, I, I want to thank you for uh, calling in tonight, and uh, it's been an interesting story uh, and, and so inspiring yeah. as well. And if you ever find that uh, you're going to be with Ama coming to Los Angeles, I hope you'll send me an email, and uh, maybe we can connect while you're in town. 
Oh, that would be really great. That would be lovely. Thank you very much, Karen. I'll do that, definitely. Okay. Well, listen, the best of luck to you and your wife. Uh, you know, with all your endeavors, it feels like to me you're living just a charmed life. And um, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I wish you all the best. And uh, uh, just just have a wonderful life. It, it sounds like you're already doing that. But <laughs> uh, you've been, you've been blessed. Okay. All right. Well, um, he is, uh, he, listeners can probably hear the static, so uh, we are going to have to say goodnight to Ram Das calling from India. I appreciate him uh, trying to reach us on Skype, and I think we heard about 98% of what he said, so, uh, so that is good. And we're going to be getting to, to uh, Jeffrey here in uh, just a moment, uh, but first got to do uh, a little commercial here to help pay for the show. Most people's psychic experiences are dreaming, and it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding, the core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen. We all hallucinate, we all go into a state of consciousness that for me is the collective unconscious. This psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes from the past right around the world have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness which is the dream mind. That symbolic, archetypal, exemplified by fairy tales or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. Uh, well, that uh, was a little uh, excerpt uh, from Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. It features uh, 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. And the DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book. And all of that is only $20. Uh, you can get your own copy of uh, the film and the book from uh, Joe Carson's website, dancingwithgaia.com. And uh, I have seen the film and I have seen the book, and it's just uh, another one of those things that would be a great choice for a stocking stuffer, uh, without a doubt, without a doubt. So uh, we are crossing the threshold uh, into the second uh, half of the show now. And uh, you know that's what those times mean. Here is a quote from my new book, Goddess Calling, out earlier this year. 
Do you hear our sacred roar? We are coming armed with ideals of the sacred feminine. We are carrying with us the archetypes of not just Mary and Kuan Yin, but Kali, the Morrigan, Libertas, and Sekhmet. We're tired of waiting for you to evolve and do the right thing. No more will we tolerate a world of injustice and inequality. No more will we allow the destruction of Mother Earth. No more will we sit quietly and obediently as our dignity is stripped from us and our future stolen. No more will our sexuality and reproductive rights be in the hands of religious zealots and their handmaidens. We want partnership. We want accountability. We want dignity and freedom. We want reverence for the earth and all of humanity. We want a world of compassion and empathy where we recognize our interconnection and practice caring and sharing for the 99%. There is enough for all of us if it's just equitably distributed. And that's um, one of what I believe is becoming one of the favorite quotes from Goddess Calling, um, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology that uh, I had published uh, earlier this year. So uh, I am going to unmute Jeffrey here so we can start our chat. Uh, Jeffrey is uh, here talking about uh, the Pagan Conference coming up, but uh, let me introduce you to him by way of his bio. Uh, Jeffrey Alba is a pagan mystic residing between the mountains and the sea on the west coast of Southern California. He actively participated in and practiced various forms of occultism uh, for over 20 years, received initiation into various branches of the craft, and has studied within the Anderson Ferry tradition for a number of years. Uh, Jeffrey taught first through third grade uh, and special education for two decades in the California public school system and now works as a lead case manager for a Workforce Investment Act employment program. He holds a BA in theater, an MA in depth psychology, and is currently working toward a PhD at Pacifica Graduate Institute. He's serving as president of the board of directors for Cherry Hill Seminary, program manager for the Conference on Current Pagan Studies, and a consultant for the Pagan History Project. Well, Jeffrey, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. So when do you have have time to sleep, Jeffrey? (laughs) I was thinking the same thing as you're reading, that I'm like, oh, oh, who's this pompous, busy person? Um, No, no, (laughs) I I do manage to sleep in there sometimes. So, uh, but it's it's the work that needs to be done a lot of times. So somebody has to do it. Is how I think of it. I hear you. And sometimes I hear it you. just looks like it's me, you know. <laughs> I I know I know how that feels, quite frankly. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. you're you're doing a lot of good, important stuff out there, and uh, you certainly have an incredibly uh, varied background uh, and interests. And uh, but but tonight uh, you wanted to focus on the conference on current uh, pagan studies. Um, Absolutely. Tell us tell us a bit about that because you know some of my listeners maybe this is the first time they're hearing about it. Uh, where is it? When is it? How long has it been going on? Who are the keynote speakers this year? Uh, just fill us in. Okay. Yeah. The, well, the, the, it has been going on since 2005. Um, Kahena Viali um, is the one who who started it. And uh, I was I was actually very blessed to come in on this at the very beginning. I did attend the first two years of the conference. Uh, the very first keynote speaker was Louisa Tish, and the second year 
we had uh, we had Isaac Bonowitz and um, a Rasika Razak. Um, so I mean, it was it was really exciting back in 2005 that this would even happen. I, I didn't even know such a thing could happen. And uh, and I you know I kind of even sitting back then I had these dreams of like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to present at a conference like this? And uh, there were a couple of years where I had uh, gone off to graduate school, and when it came time to maybe present a paper, I boomeranged back and uh, came back in 2009 and then found myself actually involved with the conference. So it's been going on since 2005. This is our 11th year. Um, Some of our keynote speakers in the past have included Maka Nightmare, Max Dashu, Rosemary Redford, Ruther. Um, we've had Thorn Coyle, Don Craig, uh, Z Budapest, Crystal Blanton, Lon Milo Duquette, quite a few people. This year, our uh, keynote speakers are Vivian Crowley, who I'm very excited about. Uh, she's speaking on stepping out of the shadows and into the light, evolution, intentions, and the future of contemporary pagan witchcraft. And the second keynote speaker is Orion Foxwood, who's speaking on consecrating the underworld, the eco-spiritual, and co-creative implications of the fairy tradition. So these are our keynote speakers for this year. It happened in February, pardon me, not February, that was last year, January 24th and 25th, 2015, in January. And uh, it's at the Claremont Colleges down towards uh, Claremont, California, um, and anybody who would like to come, of course, is you can attend. It isn't something that's a lot of people think it's restricted only to academics to come and and uh, see the academics speak. And anybody can come, and uh, and we actually kind of encourage that as much as we can, because I think there's a lot of ideas that happen at the conference that get exchanged. Um, there's a lot of the undercurrents of some of the things that are going on in our our kind of widespread culture as pagans, and uh, some of those get discussed there. Uh, and it's always a, a nice, uh, for those of us that also go to Pantheacon, it's a nice uh, kind of segue into Pantheacon. Um, True. Yeah, where True. I also I host the Scholars uh, Den at Pantheacon now. So, you know, it kind of comes back together then, and we have a, we have a good time. Yeah, uh, it's, Scholars it's, party it's, more heartily than you might think. <laughs> well, it's 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 been a while since I've been to either. I presented at PantheaCon ages ago, and I presented at uh, the Pagan Conference um, ages ago. I think it was the year that uh, Isaac Bonowitz uh, was the keynote, and um, I can't. Yeah, way back then, and I haven't I I haven't actually made it back. But uh, don't uh, besides papers, uh, don't you also? Uh, don't you do ritual and you have vendors and uh, lots of other stuff going on too, right? Right. There are some vendors that are that are present. Um, it's not a huge array of vendors, but it is some that are local and they come in and do some things. Um, Lauren Rain, I'm hoping, uh, yeah, she's presenting, so she'll be bringing her incredible masks. If you've not seen them, they're well worth worth viewing on the internet, um, and they get used for a lot of ritual. I know that Orion and Vivian are doing the ritual. I don't know what it will consist of. I'm sure it will be a delight that they're collaborating on the ritual this this time, which happens on uh, Saturday evening. Um, 
And sometimes there are some other pieces that go in there. People have shown short films. People have shown artwork. Uh, I've seen there have been rituals and then some different sorts of presentations. But mostly there are more academic sorts of presentations. Now, I would imagine by now you probably have already done your call for papers and uh, probably the schedule is already filled for this year. It, it is, and uh, the schedule is up on the site uh, at PaganConference, all one word, dot com, and you can go right to presenters and uh, schedule and look at the schedule that's up right now. I actually just posted it today. Okay, and so just, you know, for listeners who think, oh, well, gee, maybe I missed the boat this year, but there's always next year, uh, they don't have to be a Ph.D. to present a paper, right? Um, no, there are there are, uh, there are scholars, younger scholars, who are working towards things. I only have my master's at this point, um, but I started writing papers pretty early on because I realized that's kind of a direction I wanted to go. So we often have junior scholars as it were, who come and present papers. Um, sometimes we have, uh, we have people who are just active in the community. Uh, we have one gentleman that comes in who has done a lot of work with the prison system. And so his, his expertise in, in, in talking about his experiences have been really um, amazing, uh, some amazing contributions. We've also had authors that come in and share pieces of their work, um, uh, yeah, a lot of yeah. There's a lot. It's kind of a little more widespread. And okay. The, the papers also. There's a lot of discussion around them. When I set up the schedule, um, there's always uh, time to talk about them. And I also try to put papers next to each other that will throw sparks, as it were. I want people to get engaged in the dialogue, in the conversation, and and kind of weigh in on it. So I see. Sometimes it gets really lively. So now, um, is this one of these conferences that has concurrent sessions or uh, just one behind the other so you don't miss anything? It's one behind the other so you don't miss anything. Everything's in one room. Um, we Very early on, I remember there being concurrent sessions. I think it was the first conference. But we've not, we generally don't have enough papers for concurrent sessions. We have enough papers to fill the two days. Yeah, that's how it was when when I was presenting, and uh, mm-hmm. it always felt so daunting because with you know three people presenting and um, not a huge group, you know you always wonder, gee, is anybody going to show up in my room? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, um, I hear that one. <laughs> um, We've had so about now, seventy-five people, I think, are usually in attendance. Um, well, that's. That's we love so to see more people come in for that, but well, it, yeah, and that's it, pretty and good it, for the size conference. Yeah, it has. Uh, it, it's obviously grown. Um, can uh, and it's, it, it used to be really inexpensive. Um, did you want to mention um, how much it costs to attend? It it is not terribly expensive, and wow, I, that is not on the website. I'll make sure that gets added in the next two days. It is about fifty dollars. Don't quote me, um, but uh, it isn't. As conferences go, this is a, a much less expensive conference to go and attend. Um, very affordable, as it were. And is that for both days? The fifty dollars, the roughly, you know, exactly. fifty dollars. For both days. Okay, and it, um, I, I don't mean to keep picking your brain, but I'm thinking like I'm somebody out there maybe thinking about going. Um, if you go for one day, is it is there a day pass, or is it just fifty whether you come one day or two? 
I, I think it's 50 if you come one day or two, but I could be wrong on that. And one of my vagaries, why I don't know exactly, is because there are these variations. One of the things we do is if people bring, since we do serve lunch, and there are also pastries in the morning, if you bring your own, like, cup or plate, there's a discount. So that's why I'm a little soft on the amount, because I can't remember exactly which one it was which way. So there's a discount for greening the conference. Um, and... Uh, it seems to me that there's a one-day pass as well, but I don't know of anybody who's done the one-day pass. Okay, Most All people right. are there for both days. Okay, wonderful. Well, um, well, Jeffrey, what else would you like listeners um, to know about the conference besides encourage them to come? Well, I think one of the things with the conference is uh, this particular theme, they're always themed, is uh, on fecundity and the richness of the dark. So there's this idea of what what sort of things are we bringing that we've salvaged from the darkness or else done the work to bring them and transform them from darkness for light. Uh, we generally do a call for papers that's fairly broad. People can interpret it, but also that it's all disciplines. So there are, you have people coming from a sociological point of view. We have several anthropologists. I myself come from the discipline of depth psychology. Uh, we've had a few more people come in from depth psychology, which has been delightful. Uh, so it comes from a lot of different areas and looking at a lot of different aspects of our paganisms. Um, I like to say that as plural because it just solves a lot of problems. Um, and uh, so we'll have, we'll have some papers on feminism. If I look at the conference, we have uh, some that are very specific on issues that are going on right now in our, in our more modern paganisms. Uh, there are some various things. There's one on, there's one on, uh, there's one on BDSM, which I'm absolutely fascinated to see. Uh, so there's one on mathematics. Um, there's uh, some things talking about old goddesses in in Europe and throughout uh, throughout uh, around the Mediterranean. There's uh, there's some activist pieces. There's some artistic pieces. Uh, there's a piece on music music as well. There's uh, a lot of different pieces on uh, environmental activism or just environmentalism and sustainability, which is so really, really kind of exciting. Really, Pardon? really, really diverse. Um, something for it's, everyone almost. It's incredibly almost. diverse. And we're actually pulling some of these. Like, um, I'm excited to hear uh, hear one of the pieces because I kind of know what she's talking about already because she presented at um, the American Academy of Religions that happened a few weeks ago in San Diego. 10,000 people from around the world. It was amazing. And she has some really, really incredible research she's done about how um, – people who profess to be polytheist or pagan or animist relate to environmental issues and if they're more or less likely to do things that um, are environmentally friendly. And it's a really, really amazing piece of research that she's done. So, yeah, all over the board, quite honestly. Well, you know, the late Margot Adler lamented the fact that there were not more pagans on the front lines uh, of all sorts of activism, you know, women's rights, mm -hmm. environmentalism, that sort of thing. Um, is that ever a topic? I, I mean, it sounds like that could even be uh, something that might come up at this uh, this conference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's that's always a topic, the environment. It's near and dear to us, after all. 
And uh, it comes up a lot in people's papers, and it comes up a lot sometimes in the themes of the conference. It's uh, it's on one of our short list of themes for upcoming years, uh, really taking a look at environmental sorts of issues and how we interact with them. Okay. And uh, is the the pay, uh, well the the pagan conference folk, uh, you know, the core, uh, or are you headed up to the Parliament of World Religions in October? <laughs> Not all of us are going. I am going to the Parliament of World Religions. Um, as kind of like all across the board, I, I seem to be representing everybody that I'm associated with <laughs> and a few others as well, um, and going with a, a number of other people. So I'm I'm quite excited about that because I've never been to um, Parliament of Religions before. So that'll be kind of a new experience for me. So several of us are going. Um, okay. I am going. I don't. I don't believe Kahena is going or um, Alfred Serenian, who also helps put together the conference. Uh, there's also William Bloomberg and Angela Pearson, um, who helped put this thing on. And uh, But I think I'm the only one that's going to that, that I'm aware of. Okay. Well, I, I, I know all the folks except Angela. And, uh, yeah, so I may see you at the conference. And, uh, shoot, I just may get my butt back to, uh, you know, to attending the conference or maybe even presenting papers again. Who knows? We if, would if, so if, love to see you there. Uh, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, you know, sometime we ought to plan to maybe do a show at the conference. Um, that might be fun. That. You know, what a cool idea. I'd never thought of that. And I think that's a absolutely incredible idea. You sure have enough people to talk to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe have everybody come in and talk for about 15 minutes or so uh, and, you know, give a little information on uh, on their paper. If You know, if you think you might be interested in something like that, let me know. Maybe we can figure out a way to work it out. I think that would be exciting. So one of the things, I know last Jeff, year, Chris, Yeah. No, you um, Last year we had Patrick McCollum, who yeah. was in, I think, India at the time, actually sent short videos over to show at the conference. Um, he was doing some activist pro- uh, piece over there. And unfortunately, I was not there yesterday. last year. I ended up getting sick, so couldn't participate. And somebody had to pick up everything, all the materials from my place. It, it was a mess, but it turned, still turned out well. Um, <laughs> well, that's good. So yeah, we, Patrick, we do have done things like that, but I think that would be an awesome idea. You were going to say, yeah. Well, if if you, if you want to pursue it, uh, you know, get in touch with me. Uh, you know, Most maybe certainly. after the holidays, and uh, <laughs> and I guess one other thing I thought to ask. I know one year that I presented, they were doing videos of the presentations. Do you still do that so that people who don't mm-hmm. attend can maybe buy videos of the conference? We have done that all along. There have been videotapes of both the keynote speakers and of the presenters. Um, but what hasn't been done in the past is that we, they haven't signed any releases um, or anything of that sort. And so we have those. Uh, I think the keynote presenters, we've talked about maybe archiving them and presenting them online somewhere. But as to the action, the rest of the presenters is really probably not an option being that a lot of them are presenting their research and uh, sometimes kind of sensitive things. We'd have to have a permission on that. And we, we've, never, we've always recorded it and never gotten that permission. And we've been kind of working that out. I've got a, I've got a mocked up permission slip, uh, a release of, of intellectual property kind of a slip, but I'm not sure who would actually sign it. So, yeah. it. so it's not actually happened that way. 
We've talked yeah, about Yeah, because I mean, if, if somebody it. if somebody presents on something they've already published, um, you know, they probably wouldn't mind. And you know, there's so that many would people okay. that would. Would, yeah, I mean, there's so many people that would probably love to hear the conference, but for one reason or another can't attend. You know, maybe they're just not within driving distance. And that might be a way to generate a little bit of money for the conference, too. It would be. It would be. We've also talked about, and this, we've got some stuff that may be in the works. We're kind of looking at having a journal of the conference proceedings put together, Um which which also would be exciting. We probably wouldn't put all the papers in it. We'd probably just choose a few. Um, but then, you know, that's a lot of work. So yeah. up and coming. So Well and, and you you folks aren't getting paid. This is all done by volunteers, I'm sure. That is correct. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Um, well, Jeffrey, I'm glad you um, you had some time to come on the show and, uh, uh, you know, let listeners know what you're doing there uh, for the Pagan Conference and uh, maybe even get some more folks uh, uh, in the seats. I hope so. I would love to see more people there um, to join in the conversation more than anything else. It's, it's not so much about people in seats, but it's about adding your voices to the conversation, in my opinion. Um, okay. So for more information on the conference, for listeners, PaganConference.com um, is where you go. Pretty easy to remember. And uh, you can take a look at what we have down there and uh, look at a list of our past keynote speakers. You can see the information on registration, where I didn't think to go. Um, hold on just a moment. I'll give you the actual prices. If you are a student, it's $45. Others, it's 55, 10% if you pay for it early by November 15th, it's passed. Uh, bring a coffee cup, reduce fee by 250. Bring a plate, reduce by 250. Bring both, reduce by five. So I had it in front of me the whole time. <laughs> See, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. That's what my mama used there to say. There you go. That's what my grandmother <laughs> said, too. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, thank you so much. Um, you know, thank and. You. and and please tell everybody uh, hello and, uh, you know, your dedication to keeping the conference going is really important. And it, it's so appreciated by the community. You know, I mean, so often we do stuff and, you know, we need to be, you know, we need to be patted on the back now and again, you know, and know people are appreciating us. And uh, I, I know your community appreciates all of you, um, you know, volunteering your time to make sure this happens. Thank you so much. Okie doke. Well, good night and, um, you know, good happy night holidays. Good night and Merry Yule to you. Yes, yes. Have a wonderful holiday and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll see each other soon. Okay. You take care until then. Thank you so All much. Right. Okay. Good night. Well, dear listeners, um, if you would like to support my work and this show, you can do one or more of several things. You can go to my website, karentate.com. You can make a donation of any amount using the button on the Goddess Store page all the way down at the bottom. You can order one of my books. Uh, from me is best if you're here in the United States uh, or from a local bookstore is the next best thing. Use Amazon only if you have to because, you know, they keep 70% and all of the funds go to conservative causes that aren't usually in the best interest of um, the 99% who I suspect you are and I certainly know I am. Uh, yeah, Amazon takes a huge chunk of the profits, leaving the crumbs for the author and the publisher to split. 
Aren't monopolies and predator capitalism grand? (laughs) Think that uh, deck is stacked? Well, it is. But you know what? We don't have to play the game. We can be smarter than them. I just want to share one other uh, really popular excerpt from uh, one of my books. Uh, This one is uh, also from Goddess Calling. Four legs of the stool of patriarchy. Those four legs are sexism, racism, environmental exploitation, and classism. Yes, those are the four legs that prop up patriarchy. Sexism, racism, environmental exploitation, and classism. Yep, you can find that in Goddess Calling. So um, I wonder, uh, did you have a chance to look at the photos of the artifacts I mentioned we saw last week uh, with Jerry Berman of the California Museum of uh, Ancient Art? Uh, Jerry was so kind uh, to give a private showing to me, Roy, and our good friend, Dr. James Rietfeld. So thanks again, Jerry. I just can't say it enough. Um, You know, listeners, uh, I was just in awe. Some of those artifacts were worth over a million dollars. Uh, the ones we held in our hands with gloves, of course, because, you know, we didn't want the oils of our skin to damage the artifacts. Some of these were 4,000 years old and more. Um, wow. Yeah, you can see the pictures on my Facebook page. You might have to scroll down a bit because uh, every day there's so much posted, and this was a week or so ago, but uh, it's worth the search. Uh, it really is worth the search. I actually learned about a new goddess that I did not know about, um, the goddess Gula, a goddess of healing, and uh, her animal is the dog. And you can actually see me uh, holding her dog uh, in my hands. Um, It was just an incredible experience. So, Jerry, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, speaking of Dr. Riedfeld, uh, yes, uh, he's the one I'm co-leading a tour to Turkey with in May. He's brilliant and humble, a fount of information. Uh, His new book on Artemis came out last week. Um, uh, There's a link to it on my Facebook page. Uh, You can look it up on Amazon as well. Uh, The name of the book is uh, Artemis of the Ephesians, Mystery, Magic, and Her Sacred Landscape. You know, I have never seen a book more gorgeous than that book. And, you know, I'm not just touting it and saying this because, uh, you know, he is my good friend. Uh, This book just stands out uh, heads above the rest. Not only is it filled, and I mean filled, with color pictures uh, that relate to Artemis and her sacred sites, but uh, the um, footnotes are in blue ink. The captions of the pictures are in green ink. I mean, it is a work of art. Um, I'd go look at it. I mean, I hate to tell you to go to Amazon after what I just said, but you know what? Amazon has it on sale right now for $35. Uh, the book is usually $60, uh, but right now uh, it's $35, and I think the shipping might even still be free. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, um, you know, as much as I hate to say it, go to Amazon uh, and try to grab it. But uh, anyway, uh, I am so excited to be co-leading a sacred tour with him to Turkey. Uh, The trip is going to be quite something, uh, really the best of esoterica and exoterica. Uh, wonderful opportunity if you're wanting to worship on the sacred ground of the ancient mother because we'll be doing it. We'll be doing many rituals out there because uh, we usually have the sites all to ourselves. 
Um, you know, but the people who tend to go to Turkey, they're following in the footsteps of Paul. So they're not at the goddess sites, uh, not for the most part. Uh, also, it's great if you're a history buff uh, because James just, uh, oh, God, he's a walking encyclopedia. Um, we're going to be going uh, to the sacred sites in the land that was once called Anatolia. Yeah, that's what they used to call Turkey, land of the nourishing mothers. We'll visit Hecate's only known temple that's still standing today. Uh, perhaps the new Artemis Temple that was just found in Didyma because uh, it's along our route. We'll be taking about 20 women and men on the journey, so the experience will be very personal as we go to different goddess sites every day. Um, as I said, often where tourists rarely tread, so very private time at the sites to absorb the energy and the essence. Uh, and many of these temples uh, or places, uh, sites are dedicated to Cabelli, Isis, Mary, Aphrodite, Artemis, Kubaba, Demeter. That's just a few of them. And, you know, I can't say enough about the Anatolian Museum. It's not to be missed. Uh, you can also get an extension out to Chateau Hayuk or Gobeki Tepki, if you like, uh, although those are, um, you know, those would be, uh, an, you know, add-ons. Uh, whirling dervishes is part of the trip, Turkish baths. Um, I can't wait to get fresh-squeezed pomegranate juice from the sidewalk vendors. You know, I, I know I make a lot, uh, you know, out of that. I don't know why it feels so sacred to me, but it really does. Um, and, yes, I, I know the trip is not cheap, but um, all I can tell you is I believe it will be well worth it. And, um, you know, the one good thing is Turkey's not on the euro yet, so uh, when you buy your lunch or you buy your souvenirs, your money uh, will stretch rather nicely. The food is delicious. So let me hear from you if you think uh, you want to know more uh, or keep an eye on my website, karentate.com. Uh, also, like I said, you, there's an event on Facebook. Um, and, you know, speaking of taking uh, pilgrimage, um, you can also look at uh, the event on my Facebook page and find the itinerary and the little YouTube video of a past trip there. Uh, I love the scene when we're at the Artemis Temple uh, doing a ritual and we cut open a pomegranate and the pomegranate juice uh, just dribbles down the sacred stones of her ancient temple and it looks like, you know, we've made an offering of our sacred blood. Uh, it was just so powerful. So I hope you'll be joining us. Uh, if you can gather up the money, I think it's something you'll be talking about to your grandkids. Um, I have no doubt. And to answer those inquiries, if it's safe, yes, 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 it's safe. We will be nowhere near any of the terrorism or the war or the fighting because, you know what, we wouldn't risk our lives either not to take a trip. Um, so no worries there about your safety. You can always rely on uh, the State Department because if someplace isn't safe, they put advisories out, and uh, they are not saying don't travel to Turkey. So it is safe to go there. And speaking of travel, um, on another subject, sort of, did you know you can use my Sacred Places of Goddess book to find not only destinations around the world, but it also includes a self-driving tour of sacred sites of goddess up and down the California coast. So check it out, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. So um, I wanted to share a uh, closing quote with you, not mine this time, actually um, 
Louise M. Perre. It goes like this. The world is remade through the power of fierce women performing outrageous acts of creative rebellion. Don't you like that? I sure do. The world is remade through the power of fierce women performing outrageous acts of creative rebellion. There you go. Well, dear listeners, I love you. You are gas in my tank. I have certainly been enjoying your uh, your your cards, uh, your emails, uh, your comments, uh, your ideas. Uh, I mean, look at Donna. If Donna hadn't emailed me about uh, wanting to know about the content of my uh, talk this Friday in Seal Beach, I would not be... Um, you know, uh, recording it uh, here on the show and uh, using it as my Christmas special. So, you know, the show is for you, dear listeners, uh, as well as for me. So um, let me hear from you. And uh, one last thing uh, before I say goodnight. Um, I would like to encourage you to visit the beautiful Goddess Temple of Orange County, open to the public Friday and Saturday afternoons for meditation and viewing the beautiful museum exhibits of Goddess from the Paleolithic to the present. Uh, Goddess spiritual celebration services are held every Sunday, rain or shine, from 11 to 12.30. And fourth Sunday, fourth Sunday of every month, is for all genders. Um, and uh, while all, well, the other three Sundays are, are for adult women. But on fourth Sunday, uh, women can bring their families and can bring their children, well-behaved children, and uh, every Friday from 5 to 7, you can enjoy the uh, Temple's Venus Hour, Orange County's best happy hour, with libations, snacks, music, movies, and meeting new people, all free. So for more information, visit goddesstempleoc.org. And, you know, I mentioned museum. Uh, pretty soon, uh, the temple is actually going to have um, sort of a sister affiliates, so to speak. Uh, I mean, it's going to be housed in the same place, but the temple is actually going to be a museum and cultural center. I'm very proud to say I am going to be on the board, uh, as is Dr. Riedfeld and some other uh, awesome folks, and um, there are going to be tours uh, to the museum. Uh, you know, so the Goddess Temple will really be able to reach out beyond the community and, uh, you know, teach all the visitors about the feminine face of God. So uh, that is a testament to Ava Park's dedication uh, to keep this temple going, and, and she's been doing it for over a decade. So kudos to Ava and all the women of the temple who uh, keep it running, and the men too. You know, there are actually votaries there now, men who belong to the temple. They're temple members who actually take part in the rituals and uh, serve the temple just like the women do. So that might come as a surprise. You might not have known that because that's only been happening in a couple years now. So anyway, uh, as I said, uh, remember uh, the next couple shows during the holidays are going to be on Monday nights. And I'm going to be doing my special Christmas show on uh, Yuletide goddesses and the legends and lore of uh, of Christmas time on uh, December 23rd. As usual, everything will be in the archives, so um, you can always catch it later if you can't catch it live. So, as I say, good night. Uh, let me look for something nice. 
uh, to close close the show with. And uh, I think I'll play Celia's uh, Celia's song called Meta Prayer. This is Meta Prayer by Celia. Thank you, dear listeners. Have a wonderful holiday, and uh, tune back in with me next week. Good night. Thank you.